welcome to this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm here today with Charles Eisenstein. Welcome, Charles. Hi, Julian. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you back on the podcast. Talk to you while you're in Costa Rica. Uh, always a, a pleasure when, you know, we're, we're in these natural, very vibrating spaces. Uh, cicadas are with us. That's, that's a good sign. Yes. Charles, I want to start this conversation. You know, it's the beginning of 2023 on the, you know, uh, for those that are counting. And I want to start with a question about what do you believe or, th or think is most required for us in this, in this world, in this moment of now, um, to navigate uh, life and to navigate building the new story together? It's really hard to answer that question out of context, you know, as a general principle, what is most necessary for us, because the answer is so unique um, to each person. And I would say maybe, yeah, it's not for me to prescribe that. It's more, um, I would say that that answers to questions like that come available, um, for me at least. I mean, I, can, I don't even know the answers for myself, okay, yeah, let alone everybody there. else. Yeah. Um, but when I'm um, when I sincerely orient to the question itself, I think it, I, um, I, then I know what to do, even without knowing why. Um, so I guess, I guess the I guess maybe the answer to your question would be um, to hold that desire to be of good service to a better future, to life on Earth, uh, sincerely, and to and then the answers become available of what is mine to do right now hmm. yeah thanks for thanks for challenging the question because i really think this is this is a very important question for everyone individually at this point of time right it's like where where is this essence uh, informing me how is this essence informing me to do my next step and often we look at you know um people on the outside or, or or prescriptions on the outside for for solutions and answers and i think we're we're just way beyond that time uh, at this point where where that yeah. helps at all right and and also just like the whole mindset of okay i know what everybody else needs to do and and i'm going to and and you know, everyone go glue yourself to subway cars, you know, everyone like here's the one thing that trumps everything else. And I know what it is. And I'm going to tell everybody what to do. Uh, and here's the solution. And, and it's critical that everybody put down everything else they're doing. And, uh, you know, uh, lobby to reduce carbon emissions right now, like that whole mindset, um, with its, its, um, hurry, and and rush and and disregard for the unique situation of every person it just doesn't feel like the solution to me mm. yeah yeah i'm i'm right there with you and and that's kind of why i wanted to start with a question like that oh. is you know there there is there there is this feeling probably in many people at this point that there's like what is mine to do what am i here to share how can i be of service and then these topics we rally around um increasingly to me they feel more like greenwashing and just distraction rather than really bringing out our individual essence our individual beauty our individual um gifts to the world you know and mm -hmm. um 
in your recent writing and you know i finally found your Substack. so for anyone who hasn't found that yet make sure to, to uh to subscribe um you were saying that you're wanting to increasingly leave behind kind of the um maybe the, the criticism of the, the 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 dying story and really move more and more into focusing on the emerging story and the story we're building together yeah uh and and that doesn't mean that i it doesn't imply that everybody else should leave off criticizing the old story and work on the new story. Um, it's, it's that, that's a relic of this mindset or this, this assumption that the way to make decisions is based on some set of principles. So that are universal. So if I am turning my attention away from criticism toward describing something new, then That must mean that I am acting from some set of universal principles and therefore people take it as an implicit suggestion that they should do the same thing. But I'm not mm -hmm. saying that. Like, I think that the criticism is really necessary and it's part of a transition process, you know, and, and um, some people need to, even myself sometimes, like sometimes I need to be reminded, why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah, where we are coming from isn't working. It's anti-life. Mm -hmm. So I think that the criticism and the deconstruction of our current system, the illumination of our of the the structures and ideologies that that rule the world are important. But right now, I guess I kind of had the feeling of, you know, other people have got this, and what is uniquely mine to say isn't actually being said in the way I want to say it uh, with. A certain degree of cogency and um and and of being informed by the i don't know what you want to call it post post-colonial um holistic ecological systems thinking that i'm that i'm bringing to it um i would and even that's a little bit more sciencey than wh where i'm really coming from um you know um from a place of panpsychism maybe um animism uh, anyway yeah that's a little background to, to that yeah. yeah yeah context and background is important and, and I, I feel you that there is you know I guess the 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 naivety or the the new ageism of like oh everything is gonna work out and everything's so fine and um, you know we're ascending uh, is something that you know I think is, is really not helpful and therefore being critical of what is the yeah the world of separation why we're actually doing this because the, the old story is anti-life and you know there's there's lots that's been upsetting and frustrating for many of us but at the same time I believe moving forward into a context where we really want to focus on what we're creating and building and taking that power also serious that we have together as a collective, even a collective of small people, people that are tuned into this podcast right now, people that are tuned into your writing and your, you know, um, your shares in, into the world. I think we as a collective, as a community, um, we can't underestimate how change always comes through communities like that. And so what we're doing at this moment in time and how we're choosing to, Uh, kind of weave the next story together and and start seeing that we're already living it in little in little nuggets mm -hmm. you know uh, i believe is is fundamentally important because the 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 crescendo of the the wave of the old i think 
can take over so easily. It's so easy to get distracted in that again. And I've seen this in yeah. my own life over and over again, where it's like, oh, why did I go back into this, into this, you know, chaos when uh, what's in front of me are, are people, generosity, communities, tribes, circles of people that are, are craving to do things differently. Do you experience mm -hmm. that in a similar way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's um, the, the, the system that we live in most, and I say we here to mean just the bulk of people in modern society. Um, so the we is not inclusive of everybody that I'm using right now. Uh, but but the system and the society that most people live in is an unfit habitation for their soul. In their process of evolution now, people are no longer at home in the society that we have created. Uh, and maybe that was different um, half a century ago, where people felt uh, enthusiastic about contributing to the project of civilization. But right now, there's an awful lot of alienation, even among the people for whom it appears to be working. Mm -hmm. there, there are levels of depression and anxiety and addiction and um, chronic disease are much higher. I mean, you can read articles about, you know, CEO depression rates and things like that. Uh, so, so there is a, a desire that's upwelling everywhere to, to live in a new story and live in a society built on a new story. And it's not easily available from where most people are standing. You have to actually um, disrupt your life quite a lot to find mm -hmm. even glimpses of it. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm just, it just keeps coming to mind. I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how to make this relevant, but it feels relevant. Um, I, um, a man here, uh, a very successful uh, real estate developer, like, who then had a spiritual awakening, who's telling me his story about um, his, his, he injured his shoulder and went to the hospital and they said, you're going to need surgery and so on and so forth. And the surgery was scheduled. Um, but one of his friends has said, well, you know, I know this psychic healer, you know, why don't you consult her? And so he consulted her and the soldier, the, the shoulder was healed uh, in one session. And the surgery was no longer needed. Uh, and, and he was completely like, this was not his thing. You know, he yeah. didn't believe in any of this until this happened. And so he was still, still skeptical. And then he had a, um, then in their school, um, somebody on the staff got COVID. And so he consulted her again and said, hey, can you clean up the COVID in, you know, the people in the school who have it? And she said, yeah, I can tell psychically who has COVID. And he's like, oh yeah, really? So he, so he started listing names for her to say yes or no. And first he made up lots of names of people who weren't affiliated with the school at all to test her. And she was like, no, no, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And finally he mentions, starts mentioning names of people who do work at the school. And she's like, yes, that's the one. And then subsequently they go and get tested and they have, they have had COVID. So, okay. 
why do I tell this story on a podcast called what Blue Planet, Green Planet? What does this have to do with it? Like, okay, fine, nice, you know, story. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But what about the nitty gritty of saving the planet? We have to be really practical here. And I'm what I want to say is like this conception of what is practical that excludes things like that consigns us to futility and despair. We have to actually step into a reality in which that in which things like that are possible, in which we have access to creative powers that the old story says do not exist. Exactly. We cannot stand in the reality bubble of the same story that treats Earth as just a bunch of stuff and, and makes it less than sacred. You can't stand in that reality bubble and solve the problems that come from that reality bubble. So this story I told, it's an example of an invitation into a larger reality. Mm. And it just because it seems kind of woo or whatever, doesn't put it in a different category from the other invitations into a bigger reality that might be, you know, about, about like going to some community and seeing how people cooperate and how they're in flow or seeing how they resolve conflict or seeing how generous people can be in another setting when we, when we take them out of uh, the, you know, um, standard market capitalism. So there's so many invitations that we get and, and glimpses that we receive of what life could be in a new story. So I don't know. I hope that wasn't too long. No, I think this was yeah. this was great because, you know, okay. you're right. And this is the underlying paradigm that all of it always rests on is are we able to look at the new story with a new mindset, a new perception of what planet Earth really is? And you know, starting this this podcast, that that was always the intention for me is to like see, seed into people that are listening, that are connected to this. That that we, fundamentally, this is this is a miracle that that we're live on this planet, and it's not just intellectual or logical or you know, technology is going to save us. And I think that uh, you know, a lot of people that know this, that feel this, that that want this. Um, have to find each other at this point in time, you know, or are finding each other to to strengthen yeah. this awareness that like, you know, it's not just woo-woo. Some things might be woo-woo and some of that might be good and some of that might be not so exciting after all. But I think it's more than just the woo-woo bucket. For me, it's the, it's it's simply leaving beyond, you know, I, I grew up in Central Europe and I remember growing up, everything was about intellectual achievement. And it's really a, about leaving behind that intellectualism and technology are the apex of our human possibility, right? And once I left that behind, I realized there's so much more. There are energetic gifts, there are, you know, relationship gifts. But really, for me personally, and, and I don't know if you'd re relate to that as well, Charles, it always comes back to feeling. And I'm not sure if that in your story is apparent too, but that man probably started to feel that there is something possible that wasn't possible before. So yeah. our feeling, our intuition, our heart, I think is one of the most important aspects of building this new story together. Yeah. Um, and I'm not one to dismiss intellect, but I think that intellect is part of some, it's not actually separate from feeling. They're, they're intimately connected. And you can tell that by uh, exploring how you feel 
when you intellectually explore different interpretations of the same event or of the same phenomenon. So for example, the story I told you, you it wasn't irrational. Like I, nothing I said was irrational. It, it seems to not make sense if you hold certain assumptions as axiomatic, as right. unchallengeable about the way that reality works. But if you replace those with different assumptions, then nothing that I said is irrational or illogical. So I think really what we're shifting now is the application and the foundations of our intellectual endeavors. And not to say, well, we're going to abandon intellect. But it, it, it's because, you know, as they say, garbage in, garbage out. You know, what, what intellect and reason and logic operate on something. And those are the assumptions that are outside of intellect um, that you just take for granted. So, but they always have a feeling dimension. So I could offer you an alternative explanation. Like you could say, well, such things as, you know, psychic healings, they're impossible. They never happen. So obviously this man was lying to you, Charles, and he was probably trying to make you make, make himself see, seem special in your eyes. And probably what happened, or maybe, you know, it was actually not that serious an injury and the doctors were, you know, misinterpreted the x-ray. And I'm sure that if we checked, that would be the case. And like, you could lay out a very logical um, set of alternative explanations that fully, uh, they fully um, account for all of the data that I have given you. I mean, maybe I'm lying. Maybe I made up that story. Like <clears throat> you can preserve the old story of, you know, right. scientific materialism in many ways. But that's, but that's but it kind feels of feels different. Yeah. You know, it, and, it and, and that's, it, it feels so small also to continuously try to prove everything else wrong, just to keep your belief right. system alive. Right. And, um, Yeah, I think what we're really talking about here is that when we're talking about a new story, um, because it is individually different for everyone, right? The journey to it is also different, is that possibility and the expansion of possibility is a, is a, a big part of it. Yes. There's a, a, bit, a different possibility of what planet Earth can become, and none of us really knows what it will become. But as we're stepping through this portal, this gate that these last two, three years have been, um, I believe for everyone who is alive on this planet right now, The, that that choice point is is becoming um, clearer and clearer, and many of us are are running with it, right? And and so this is what's so exciting about being alive at this point in time, I believe, is that the possibility is becoming probably infinite. We are just as you said. I, I also wouldn't abandon intellect. We're intellectual creatures. We're emotional beings. We're we're interbeing, right? We're not just individuals. We're many people are experiencing, uh, you know states of, of, of kind of extraordinary connection to nature. Um, and, you know, one of those things that, one of those stories on, on, on my end of the, of the world that I, I want to share with you because I just feel inspired about it right now is I was in Brazil last year and in a, a, a deep medicine experience with indigenous stewards from the Amazon. And, you know, I, I speak a bit of Portuguese and so do they. And, We we became friends and it, it felt good to be together for, you know, one week and then two weeks and I'll meet them again soon as well. And 
I'll, I'll, I'll mention his name. His name is Bane. And Bane, you know, he, he chuckled and he said, Julian, there's just one thing I really want you to understand. And it is that you're fundamentally indigenous to the planet. And once you understand that, we can talk about everything else. And then I looked at him and I chuckled with him and I said, Bane, if I say this in North America, that I'm indigenous, they will cancel me. They will tell me that I'm full of, you know, BS. And we, we laughed together for quite a while. And then we said, yeah, that is kind of the problem of this modern world is that it doesn't allow for, for, for these deep truths that are happening only outside of separation, that are only happening within connection, within perception of that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, being indigenous is not a matter of your blood. You know, it's not a matter of your DNA. It's not a matter of the color of your skin. It's a matter of um, being of a place. Mm. Uh, to, to be, um, you know, in indigenous like to be generated by and of a place so if you have no connection to land and the history of land and the plants and animals of that land and the spirits of that land and the, the stories of that land then you are not indigenous to that land so indigeneity is something that can be recovered and can be developed and you know it's not yeah it's not a matter of your skin color and it's hard to disentangle that from uh historical injustices and legacies of trauma and and all that has come through the colonial enterprise and uh global imperialism so there's a there's a lot of uh you know a lot of political entanglements with this idea, but yeah, fundamentally we are of this earth. And so I don't think like mm. indigeneity is necessarily something that you are or are not. Like if you think of it in terms of are you or aren't you, then everybody must be, but it's, it's actually a way of relating. And I, like if I am on my computer all the time in air conditioning, um, and my entire interaction is dissociated from the place where I'm at, then I am not indigenous. Mm -hmm. I am not of that place. I could just be a digital nomad and go everywhere. I'm not indigenous then. But as I settle into a place, as I develop roots, and, and, as, that, and that, as that grows over maybe generations, then I would become indigenous to that place. I would become of a place. I would be in intimate relation to this particular part of earth. So yeah, that's, that's, it's maybe, I'm not sure if it's saying quite the same thing as you were saying, but that's my view on it anyway. Yeah. I really appreciate your view on it because you know, it, it is in, in what you just shared, there is, there's a pathway of reconciliation. There's a pathway of re, configuring trust right which i think deep down is this is one of the the hardest things to find in this world is is this 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 innocence this this sweetness of realizing you know what people aren't out there to get me this this life isn't uh, around me made up to to hurt me and you know in the old 
kind of lens of story, I think this is kind of inherent is like everything out there is trying to be hostile to you, which I know you've, you've demystified many times before. And, and I would absolutely agree. We're living in a, a symbiosis with it, right? The interbeing, um, like, like you often say, and Thich Nhat Hanh also kind of has popularized. So it's, it's, it's really about this pathway back to trust. And I believe that I don't personally really know how this is going to work for, for all of us, but I really believe that if we don't start to trust life and each other, all of this possibility we just talked about a few minutes ago can hardly become real, right? So trust is one of the big golden kind of connectors back to our innocence and to our birthright of being indigenous with the planet, of being off the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trust. How do you see trust weave into this and how, and how do you personally experience this? Because, you know, with putting yourself out there and putting your, 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 your thoughts out there into the world, I think many times the world is showing you that, that it is still a pretty hostile place, right? Like people push back or people criticize or people try to cancel you. All of these things have happened to you before. And I, yeah. I imagine it doesn't feel too, too good, but there's a trust, a deep trust that this is still yours to do and you're, um, your big contribution and gift, which, you know, yes. I, I want to affirm in this interview here, like it's people really appreciate what you put out there, Charles. And so do it's I, true. because it, I think it really helps us to have trust in ourselves to, to come back and share more of, of this path forward. Yeah. So the trust is not that, that, um, everything in the universe is your friend. I mean, like, yeah, I was canceled. Yeah. Like I get bit by mosquitoes sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. like, like sometimes bad things happen, <laughs> things that under any sane interpretation are bad, like just from like, a, or from a basic biological point of view, like I, you know, if there's, I mean, I could just say, well, it's all good, but that obliterates a lot of the distinctions that are true to my experience, mm. you know, like, like a, a toothache, for example, or you know, getting stung by hornets or, um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that is, so it's not like that trust does not mean that I will never get hurt. That idea, and it kind of shows up in some of these like manifestation ideologies, you know, that, mm -hmm. that anything bad, anything painful that happens to you is a reflection of your own bad thinking that um, is actually kind of um, arrogant. Uh, it, it puts more um, power in your own being than you actually have. The power is unlimited, but it is not in this separate self. Hmm. So in, in a body as well, like you could say that, that, that a um, organism, say, um, or say a, a hive of bees is a fully enlightened being, but sometimes it'll sacrifice some of, like your body will happily sacrifice some of its cells sometimes uh, for the good of the whole. So we are also cells uh, in a much larger being uh, called Gaia. Uh, or the cosmos and our individual experience of of pleasure and pain 
is um, is necessary for our functioning and for our deployment in a inconceivably vast process of life and beauty unfolding. And and so that's where the trust actually is. The trust mm. is that I have a purpose in this, in the unfolding of life. I have a purpose in service to life. I have a purpose in service to beauty. I, there is a use for me here. And that the universe wants me to be of use. So the, the, the generosity of the universe, the friendliness of the universe is not that nothing bad will ever happen to me, that I will never experience pain. But it is, it is a sense of a, a, a huge intelligence of which I'm a part that, and which, in which I participate. And yeah, yeah. What comes to mind is the word confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Confidence with trust. There's uh, mm -hmm. confidence when when we're acting with this kind of purpose behind us, and I think this is this is where where the word purpose is so so delicious is when we when we realize we are purposefully on this planet, and maybe this is you know we're, we're talking in, so far in this conversation about like this big possibility of what planet Earth can turn into. It's just 2023, you know. There's 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 still seven years to go till the end of this decade, and all of these projections of the doomsday or the, the, this apocalypse or this way of how things could be getting worse and worse. I think all of this is just on the surface, but deep down and very much present be between you and I here in this moment is that there's so much possibility of what can unfold. And for that, I believe we need this feeling of purpose. We need this feeling of, of trusting that, yeah, life isn't only good and not everything's good. I'm with you. I got stung by hornets before and I hated it. You know, it was really, really a bad experience. And um, I don't even like talking about it, you know, but I have this, this confidence. And I think that's where confidence also is very different than, let's say, arrogance, right? Confidence just fundamentally for me means I, I trust that life is a meaningful connection of intelligence that's weaving me into position, into place, into connections. And personally, in my separate self, in, my, in, in, in the part of me that is just Julian, I've kind of given up of trying to make the meaning of where life puts me as well. Because I found that that really hinders me from uh, experiencing, feeling more of that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Usually the meanings that we make about life are much smaller than what is actually true. And they mm -hmm. can be coping mechanisms, but they can also be uh, ways that um, we just stay in a comfort zone um, and are afraid to step into the mystery of it all. And then sometimes, usually it's in retrospect, but sometimes like something that had been totally inexplicable and bewildering will, will condense into a meaning and i'll be like oh that's why all of those things happened yeah yeah it's but it usually happens after yeah. yeah but i think there's a there's a reason for that even if we were to you know totally get off the, off the trail and say well time is bendable and infinite i you know i believe that to a big degree but i i i think if you were to make the meaning beforehand 
then you're limiting the possibility of what can occur again, right? And so afterwards, mm -hmm. of course, we're starting to see this, you know, uh, kind of golden webbing of how life fit together. And yeah, yeah, meaning this making is can delicious, be, yeah, yeah, meaning making can be a way of trying to to domesticate the wild. Yeah, you know, which which is not entirely a bad thing. Um, all animals have an effect on their environment and, and they will alter the environment to enable them to thrive. Uh, you know, they're not just occupants who leave no trace. All, all animals and plants leave a trace. So the, like the whole project of domestication and agriculture is not fundamentally different from what other animals and, and creatures do, but it's different in its um, intensity. Um, but that brings up, um, gosh, I'm trying to bridge a very large chasm here. Um, where was I? Um, okay. I totally lost it, Julian. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, we, you know, we always have the magic power to edit or to be simply yeah. okay with with how the conversation flows. And I think what I'm seeing in in the you know what what you're saying with agriculture and that uh, you know all of nature has these these forms of you know you spoke about the word domestication. Um, what comes to mind for me is Toltec wisdom that speaks about the domestication of our dreams, right? So that we're kind oh, of being right. surrendered into a dream that's being dreamt for us rather than becoming conscious actors of the dream and therefore dreamers that are dreaming what planet Earth is into space and into existence. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. agriculture might be a nuance. I, I, remember, sort of way... I, I remember now what I was going to say. I thought you'd I, come I, back. Yeah, it was... It was, it was <laughs> I was, it was maybe drawing too, too big of a, like too, too distant a metaphor, but basically saying that meaning making is not bad. You know, domestication of the wild is not bad. Trying to put some order onto the, the chaos and the mystery is not a bad thing, but we have to realize its limits. Same thing with agriculture. And we have to, to realize that the ultimate goal isn't to domesticate everything. Yeah. And the goal of our meaning making isn't to make sense of everything. So we have an explanation for every event and every interaction, and we've ordered the entire universe into our own categories and logic. That's not the goal. Just as the goal of agriculture is not to make the entire earth into one farm. You know, there needs to be the wild and our agriculture needs to interact with the wild and be a conversation with the wild and a co-creation. And the same is true of our meaning making. So, mm. and, and dream, you know, dreaming is that is, landed. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. dreaming is, is, a, is a, a good way to think about that. Um, you know, because dreams are not something that you, you're usually consciously create, you know, you are receiving like you, you, you dreams, dreams come to us. Um, and maybe there's some part of our, you know, unconscious mind that, is doing the creating but rarely or never do you know what dreams you're going to have when you go to bed and in all dreams there's a a a big 
um, field of unknown, even in more lucid dreams where it feels like I've had a bit of creative control, that control wasn't totalitarian. It was like in a small percentage and then the rest was off the charts. Like, as you said, you know, there's like an element of wild in it. You know, the picture that came into my mind is I've spent a lot of time in the last year specifically reflecting about the Amazon and what the Amazon forest really is. And, and, you know, many years been holding this questions, how do we really support the Amazon forest? And then, you know, life's answer was meet, meet some of its residents and learn Mm -hmm. from them, you know, and, and, and one of the pictures in my mind is that the Amazon forest wasn't a forest that people stumbled upon and they said, Oh, look, great forest. Let's, let's live here. Like, Indians no 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 it was it was quite different right like the story we know from um indigenous people of the amazon as well as of, of many sources of writing that are kind of going off the mainstream charts is that that people cultivated this forest in a symbiotic kind of agroforestry way but they didn't cultivate it just like agriculture even though it is a maybe a form of agriculture in a certain way they cultivated it as you just described as a an interplay between um, a food forest and the wild and they lived this way too their entire existence was was an interplay between cultivation and deep wisdom and knowledge of medicinal plants that still make up i don't know 80 plus percent of pharmacology in the western world yeah. even and so th- there seems to be like a secret link there that this is maybe you know we're not going to go back to those times but maybe a part of the pathway forward is that the way we evolve agriculture away from its reductionist scientificism approach of genetically engineering everything to genetically engineer with nature as a symbiosis of growing into like kind of food forest meets the wild kind of scenarios and when i've been in those places my whole body becomes ecstatic all I want to do is be barefoot and have a good time, you know, because I realize there's like more life force energy kind of booting up into my system. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and it is consistent with with um, the way that the land in North America was tended as well. You know, it was not a, uh, you know, virgin wilderness, but the landscape was a result of thousands of years of interaction. I won't say cultivation because it usually didn't involve breaking the soil, Mm. but it involved uh, controlled burns and coppicing and pruning and um, uh, selective seeding and um, uh, building features to change water courses, you know, and, and just like all these things that enabled the land to be no less biodiverse, but kind of tilted it a little bit toward the thriving of human beings in a way that didn't deplete it, didn't make it less alive, which is quite different from industrial agriculture, which basically kills everything but the one thing that you want to grow there. Mm. So um, I'm not surprised, and I have actually read a little bit about what you're talking about too, that that even though it doesn't look like agriculture, there was human participation in the ecosystem in a way that changes the ecosystem and maintains it in a different state than it would default to if human beings were not there. So is that agriculture? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's participation at the very minimum. And I know you used this word before in describing well-being. Like well-being, you said, is not control, but participation, community sharing, intimacy. And so... 
in that picture we were just drawing, you know, and I think I'm sharing this picture because I'm just simply inspired by learning from these, these different, these more original ways of being with Gaia, right? Is that participation is a fundamental piece of it. And I'll, I'll maybe bridge it to the now moment where I am sitting more in the, the you know, digital nomad kind of bubble in, in Tulum in Mexico, where even though I, I really want to participate, it's almost impossible to participate here. I need to go out of the city to meet the projects in the jungle that are doing yeah. this, which, you know, I will be doing. But today I'm, I'm sitting in one of those concrete blocks that, you know, it's, it's pretty and it's, it's neat and it has amenities and it makes me feel good on a different place or in a different way. But really, I'm lacking participation. Even though I have people living around me, I have no intimacy with these people or community. Right. And so right. this duality is so present. Uh, even though Gaia is ready for that kind of exchange at any moment I choose to, right? I can go downstairs and stand with a tree and maybe maybe listen long enough to hear what it says to me. Yeah. In, in, in cities, uh, indigeneity, what indigeneity means, it has a lot more to do with people than with... Um, you know, the plants and animals. Um, it's because like, I could say that, you know, somebody from a barrio in, in you know, Mexico City or a favela in, in Sao Paulo is very much an indigenous person, even though they don't have any connection with nature as mm. we normally think of it. But I mean, I had that, I mean, I, you know, spent some time in a favela in, in um, Sao Paulo, you know, and and I very much experienced like a similar feeling of these people are of place. Like I was walking with a guy, you know, and like everybody says hi. Mm. And he knows the story of every single person that he meets and could tell you the story of their father and their grandfather too. Now, a lot of them are, have migrated to that place from other parts. So it hasn't really fully become place yet in the very, very deepest sense, but it is in the process of becoming and, and the people there were much more rooted in that place than most people in, you know, suburbia in North America. And, and, and so we have to understand that humans are, we're nature too, you know, mm. and, and the built environment is just as much nature as a bird's nest. So, so. Anyway, I just wanted to to you know make sure that we understand that that being of place includes the human dimension. But in, but what you're talking about, you don't know the people around there, um, and a lot of them are digital nomads too, or have been dislocated. So what we have is actually a lot of reconstruction, a lot of regeneration, a lot of healing. To it's not going to happen overnight, mm. um, and the obstacles are formidable. Like you can. I tried this when I moved to suburbia. I'm like, okay, you know, let's do some placemaking. Let's get to know our neighbors. Mm. Let's, you know, have a cooking circle where we each teach, each family will host once a week and teach others. No one was interested. Yeah. How did and that then, work out? <laughs> no, people weren't interested. Yeah. They came once or yeah. twice, you know, but then they had yeah. something else to do. And, you know, it's the Super Bowl, you know, and it's <laughs> like there's, there's something like their lives were already so dislocated mm. that it, it was a burden on them to actually try to bring, bring this in. So, so the, the road back to, to community, to participation, to indigeneity is a very long road. 
And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't, right? And it seems to happen more in some places and more within certain kind of fields of community. And then I also personally experience it as, again, very subjective. Not everyone will want the same form of intimacy or community. And, and that's okay, right? And so to allow these kind of cohorts of people to find each other, I think this is a big part of you know, the creative power or the creative intelligence that's, that's, that's moving through us in this decade where yeah, you could get lost in you know, the external news about how the world is you know, worsening, 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 and worsening. I don't really believe that story. We've talked about this before, and I know you talk about that too. It's just one layer of it. But then as there is this creative energy booting up in us, this love energy guiding many of us, or this, I would call it nature intelligence, kind of booting, literally booting up in our hearts, I think we, we, we maybe need to go through these years of learning, finding each other, listening to each other, learning when to, when to stand our truth and say, you know what, no, thank you. I don't actually enjoy this. And, and maybe, you know, including the opening the door to the neighbors that, that don't show up more than twice, going through those heartbreak moments too, where, oh, wow, look, my picture of community isn't quite possible here. Um, I've actually experienced that very scenario as well, where, you know, then the next step is where, where I spend most of my year in Canada. Um, I don't know my neighbors again because I've years ago went through this, this scenario where I opened my doors and after a while, no one showed up anymore. And I was like, oh, wow, is it me? And then I realized, no, it's, it's really a mix of who I am in this moment and, and just who everyone else is in this moment. And now going the other way and not knowing my neighbors, yeah, it, 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 it's not the solution, but it's kind of the status quo, right? And so right. it's the, the waves of learning maybe. Um, I want to ask a question there to you because I, I know that this is something, a question you kind of asked yourself in one of your recent publications. And I'll, I'll read it and let's see um, what comes through. You were saying the creative powers with love at their core are becoming available to us that make many of the world, the old conversations obsolete. And the question is, how do we become hosts to such powers? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I, I gave an example of those creative powers earlier in our conversation with the story of the psychic healer. We have to make room for the powers. What keeps them out is various forms of resistance. Um, our habits of disbelief, our um, internal inconsistencies, our inner conflicts that we just let ride and don't expose them to the light of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have um, internal conflicts that you don't, like it could even be like believing two opposite things um, and just like, I'm just not going to go there. You know, anything like that, I'm just not going to go there. That forms a, 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 uh, a blockage that, that we have to hold in place. And it's that, that holding, that, that closure that prevents us from being host to the love powers that enable creativity beyond what the separate self could do. 
um, yeah, like like especially um, dishonesty. Dishonesty first and foremost with yourself. If you're if you're and that's what I was trying to get at with like holding two conflicting beliefs. If you're lying mm -hmm. to yourself mm -hmm. about something, then that that shuts off a whole realm of your being and it cordons it off. It walls it off and it prevents these creative powers of love that I mentioned in that, in that quote from being hosted from inhabiting you. So, so, so it is a process of healing of, of clearing of reconciling of forgiving of, of um, transparency, of being honest with yourself, um, and, and and you know, like like for me, it might be identifying conflicting um, aspirations, conflicting goals. Some of them might be conscious because I approve of them. Some of them might be unconscious because I don't want to admit them to other people or myself. Like to what extent, for example, is my goal of getting approval, attention and especially approval from people, interfering with my other goal of serving the birth of a new story in the world. Mm -hmm. Like on a practical level, they interfere with each other. And on an internal level, they necessitate that I, that I hide things from myself mm -hmm. in order to maintain the good story and keep the bad story hidden to keep the, the shadow motivations hidden. <laughs> so like all of the, all of these things create, uh, internal walls and, and, um, separate realms mm -hmm. that make us less able to be host for creative power. Big time. I, I can I can relate personally, and I think that possibly many people can that are tuned into this conversation because in this world of separation that we were born into, it largely speaking, this is one of the leeches, one of the one of the parasites, is that there's a dream that's dreamt for us. And it doesn't actually agree with our soul and our dharma and our purpose of being born on this planet. And so we have to kind of weave through this until we we pop out and realize, oh, wow, this is what's truly important to me. This is, this is why I'm really here. This is what I'd love to cultivate and bring into this world. But then because this, this, this parasite in a certain way is kind of with us, I also personally f felt really misunderstood for many, many years. And I, I would love more acknowledgement. I would love more to be seen. And so then, as you just yeah. said, then, then what I share starts to wobble from what I actually want to share and just getting that one need met, which ultimately deep down, uh, maybe, maybe most, most people know this at this point, but only I can really give that to myself. I can't even rely on my partner or my father or my mother or my best friends on that. Like acknowledging myself is, is where it starts. Right. And so I really see that this is one of the trickiest bits of this time in, in, in space is to let this, this control or this power that this this separate story I, i'll call it a parasite again because i really believe that it is kind of that it is mm -hmm. like a leech on our soul on our true power as 
infinite love incarnate into the physical. There's there's some some other quality or presence here with us, and or or maybe was here with us, and that that holds us small rather than really fully opening right to this being hosts to just pure love, which is our birthright, and I believe who we are when we're silent, when we're still, when we're with nature, when we're at a river, when we're with a tree, when we're with each other, right? A big wind is blowing up here. You probably hear the, uh, I don't know, something is hitting the roof. There's a, yeah, all of a sudden it got very windy. Yes, same here, actually. I, I'm sitting in a thunderstorm at this point. It's mm -hmm. interesting. I'm glad the internet is holding up. Charles, I'm yeah. enjoying this conversation with you and, you know, this these different places and fields we're kind of feeling into. And maybe, you know, sometimes um, conversations have very clear questions and really clear answers in the contextual reality. But what we largely talked about here is the possibility that, that keeps opening for what planet Earth and we as residents and citizens and you know, guidance uh, bring into the into the earth, and so I hope that this conversation inspires people to really remember: like, none of the future is a stable place. We are co-creating it together, and so this is probably the most delicious and exciting part about being alive, and also the most confusing bit, because it really means bringing more of you and your essence into the world. This is really important. Yeah, um, that goes for you, Charles. That goes for me, and that goes for everyone tuned into this. Yeah, and and we the 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 modern account of how the future is created falls woefully short of describing the principles of creativity that actually operate in the world, and and that and especially uh, the one I want to especially um, mention right now is the mysterious link between the inner and the outer. Mm. And as you say, the future is not yet created. It's not a given. Um, and that doesn't mean actually that any future is possible, but it means that there are, there is a, um, a menu kind of, mm -hmm. of many, many possible futures, many roads radiating out from the present into the future. And we have the power to choose which road we will follow by which future we align with. And as I was saying before, with like belief systems and intellectual things, they have a feeling quality too. Like any story also has um, embodied dimensions, emotional dimensions, spiritual dimensions. The same is true of a future. So the, you know, it's not just a matter of which forces align um, and, and, you know, we can predict the future as, as like a Newtonian billiard table of masses bumping against each other. And we can calculate what the future is going to be. Um, it's not just these forces, but it's, it's our consciousness and our alignment to the, the, the feeling quality and the story and the consciousness in the story of the future itself. Like you could, another way to put it is that a future is a being. A story is a being. Uh, a world is a being. Mm. And we, by our, um, our 
cultivation of ourselves, we do courtship with one or another or another of these futures. We mm -hmm. come into alignment with it. Now, sometimes this alignment takes the form of very practical actions that help to bring that future about. I'm not excluding the practical here. You, know, you might, you might, the, your alignment with that future might lead you to, to, you know, leave your corporate job and start a permaculture farm. Okay. Uh, and you might be able to rationally say, yes, I know how I am contributing to this particular future, but it could also take a form that does not easily satisfy the rational mind. Mm -hmm. And, and the actions that you take from the place of being aligned with that entity, with that consciousness, um, could, you know, be very private. They could operate in a very small sphere, uh, and never satisfy our inherited understanding of causality and how it works. Uh, but they are nonetheless a, a, a summoning. And or I, I like to use the word courtship. They are a courting of a possibility. And it's almost like the possibility, I call it a more beautiful world. Mm. It says, oh, you would like to come to me? You would like to me to host you as the future? Well, please demonstrate that that's what you really want. Please demonstrate your worthiness. Please demonstrate your suitability. Uh, it's, and that's why I say it's a courtship. So the, so the gestures that we make that are aligned with say a future of radical generosity and radical transparency, um, operate as prayers, mm. even if they happen in, you know, a, uh, an interaction with somebody on their deathbed. And you think, well, that didn't change the future because that person just died. No, that's not how things work. Those interactions are incredibly potent. Mm. Our, our modern system of causality cannot understand, cannot easily understand why they are potent. But anyone who's ever been in that situation knows it. You know that, that those moments are the most important moments of life and have an impact on the cosmos. Yeah. And even through someone who is still in the more modern connection of causality, epigenetics is a field of science that, you know, sh shouldn't be foreign to people at this point. Yes. Um, it, it, it definitely has an effect on the lineage and the epigenetic information and imprints as well in, 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 in direct and in more metaphysical ways. Yeah. I think what you just shared about this, like, you know, more modern causal way of making meaning. This is, this is one of the biggest takeaways for me from this episode is, uh, to steadily check in, right? Am I already making the meaning or am I open for the meaning to be woven by, mm -hmm. by acting from this field of possibility and by acting from this place of pure love that I know exists within all of us? 
and and it's it's this is neither woo woo nor 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 hoping and wishing right it it actually mm. has a little bit of all of those dimensions in it it's very r rational at some moments it's very intellectual at some moments and i think uh, the time to to have an either or left or right a red or blue kind of um paradigm they, those times are over and we need to mm. continuously encourage that in each other to think maybe omnilateral more often and at least for me, when I go to that omnilateral place, it's kind of beyond my head, which I, at this point, enjoy. <laughs> because it means that, oh, look, Julian just lost control. Great. <laughs> yeah. Something yeah. more has become possible. Mm -hmm. Charles, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for exploring uh, with me today and see what's in our interbeing, but also what, you know, what the, the story forward, the next story, the new story. Um, is bringing into existence with with for all of us and so um, i said it at the beginning of the episode if you haven't yet subscribed to charles's Substack and uh, explore his writings and also i really appreciate that your um your reading of your writing um, please do so uh, yeah yeah thank you yeah.